Listen for the prayer for illumination. Holy Word, for generations people have bowed their heads, have prayed the Psalms, have asked for your presence in their lives. For generations people have whispered, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable and pleasing to you, O God. For generations we have gathered here. We have quieted our minds. We have prayed to feel your presence in our midst. So once again, just as the generations before, we turn our hearts to your word. Still our busy minds so that we might truly comprehend what you have to say to us today. With joy and hope we pray. Amen. The first reading is Psalm 19 titled, To the Leader, a Psalm of David. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard yet. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In the heavens he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and nothing is hid from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned in keeping them. There is great reward, but who can detect one's own errors? Clear me from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from the insolent. Do not let them have dominion over me. Then, I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We live not by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God. Thanks be to God. Our gospel reading for this morning comes to us from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20. Listen for what the Spirit is speaking today. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. 
He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let's pray. Living God, you accept our stumbling faith, our misplaced answers, our false horizons, and through them build a way of peace. Empower us to bind the wounds of the world and loose the debts of oppression that all may confess the grace that is your work alone. Through Jesus Christ, anointed for the world, we pray. Amen. A well-asked question can change your life. A good therapist often understands a client's issues long before the client does, but they don't tell the client. (laughs) Instead, they ask good questions that allow that client to discover the truth for themselves. It's much more meaningful that way. Jesus understood this as well as anyone. As you read the Gospels, you notice that he is constantly asking questions, very, very rarely answering them. And in today's reading, Jesus asks his disciples two great questions, and they're both worthy of our consideration. Matthew says, while they're in the region of Caesarea Philippi, Jesus asks, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, it's, it's interesting that he tells us that they're in Caesarea Philippi. It's like 25 miles north of Galilee, which is a good distance for people who were on foot. And it was at the base of a mountain that has a freshwater spring that feeds into the Jordan River. And it was a site of of extraordinary religious significance. Uh, The Greeks built a temple there. You can still go uh, to the shepherd god Pan. And at this temple, it was thought to be a gateway to the underworld, to Hades. Now, by the time uh, Jesus comes around, the Romans have built a city there titled Caesarea Philippi, and it was named in honor of Tiberius Caesar and Herod's son, Philip. And so here at this one site, you have this nexus of spirituality and power, of religion and politics, and a gateway to the underworld. Ominous scene. And that's where Jesus asks, who do people say the Son of Man is? This is Jesus' favorite way to refer to himself, the Son of Man. Like everything with Jesus, it's hard to know exactly what he meant by it. If Jesus wanted to be clearer in so many ways, he could have been. But instead, he chooses ambiguity. So Son of Man may be a reference to Daniel 7.13, which speaks of a Son of Man to whom God will give a kingdom that will not pass away. Maybe a reference to that. It might be a simple, humble way to refer to his own humanity. Maybe it's both. 
I really like the way the Common English Bible translates Son of Man. They translate it the human one. And Jesus may well be more than human, but he is not less. And perhaps he's not just a human. Maybe he's the human. The one who demonstrates to us what true humanity looks like. Could use a little more humanity in our world, huh? And so his first question, who do people say that I am? Well, apparently there's always been a diversity of opinions about him. Disciples say, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, why anybody would say Jesus is John the Baptist is beyond me. These two were seen together, right? John baptizes Jesus. They were contemporaries before John is killed by Herod. So why Jesus would be John the Baptist, I don't know, whatever. Perhaps we can always expect that some people are going to have weird ideas about who Jesus is. I don't know. But all their answers place Jesus in Israel's prophetic tradition. So the word on the street is that Jesus was a prophet. And he certainly was. Now, biblically speaking, prophets are not those who are foretelling the future. No, they are those who reveal God's will in the here and now. Old Testament scholar Walter Bergerman says that prophets in the Bible are those who nourish, nurture, and evoke a consciousness and perception alternative to the consciousness and perception of the dominant culture around us. That's a mouthful. But Jesus certainly does that. I mean, what is all of this talk about the kingdom of God except exactly this, evoking an alternative consciousness to the kingdom of Rome? And so Jesus is a prophet. His teachings, his miracles, they allow us to see a different way of being in the world than what the dominant culture tells us, and that is no small thing. What about in our time? Who do people say that Jesus is? I think many still say he was a prophet. That's, that's what Islam says. Some people say that Jesus is a, a myth and not even a person of history. Others say he's a great moral teacher. And of course, many say that Jesus is God incarnate. And that last one has been the official church answer. That's, that's the, the approved answer. But I'm sure there's many, many more views beyond that. But in the end, it really doesn't matter what other people say or think about Jesus. What do you say? And that's what a second question gets to. Who do you say that I am? How do you answer that question? Do you answer it the same way now that you did 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago? For me, the way I answer it is evolved over time. You know, when I was a child, I would have given the church-approved Orthodox answer. Jesus is God's son who died for my sins, raised from the dead. That's the party line. I held it then, still do. But so-called right answers aren't necessarily personal ones. And so as I grew, I came to know Jesus as not merely a doctrine, but as a friend, a friend to all who are friendless. And understanding and knowing Jesus this way has shaped my entire life. Who is Jesus? He is the friend to the friendless. He is the one who seeks out those who have been excluded and draws them near. So whether it's the leper whom Jesus isn't afraid to touch, or the middle schooler who walks around the schoolyard alone, Jesus is not embarrassed to be our friend. Of course, there's many ways 
to answer Jesus' question, who do you say that I am? Diana Butler Bass's most recent book, Finding Jesus, describes the different ways that she's related to Jesus throughout her lifetime. She writes of him as friend, as teacher, savior, Lord, way, and presence. As I've meditated on these answers, I wonder, maybe there isn't a right answer. Maybe there are different ways to understand this incredible person whose mark on history is indelible. Butler Bass writes, Who are you, Lord? is the question of a lifetime. To be asked and experienced over and over again. That query frees Jesus to show up in our lives over and over again and entails remembering when we first met, how we struggled with each other along the road, and what we learned in the process. Who was Jesus when you first met? Who is he to you now? One of the reasons I love this Preacher from the Pew series is because we get this chance, right, to hear from you all how you, the members of this church, answer this question for yourself. And of course, everybody answers it a little bit differently. Perhaps there's no one right answer, but instead many witnesses to a multifaceted truth. Maybe that's why Jesus, Matthew tells us, sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anybody he's the Messiah. Perhaps like a good therapist, he wants us to answer the question for ourselves. Well, on that day, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and Jesus likes this answer. Says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church. The gates of Hades will not prevail against it. It does feel good when the teacher praises you, doesn't it? So Simon names Jesus the Messiah, the one sent by God to liberate Israel. And then Jesus, in turn, renames Simon as Peter, the rock upon whom Jesus will build his church. And so you, each one here names the other, recognizing something about the other that was already true but is now brought out into the open. Well, naming and renaming is a powerful recurring theme in the Bible. As characters live into their God-given identity, they often take on new names. They're not limited by their birth names. See, parents have an important role to play in the life of their children, but they don't have the last word on who their child is or who they will become. In our time, our transgender siblings in the faith are living into this biblical theme by discovering new names, new identities like so many have before them. Madeline Langle once said, to label is to hate, but to name is to love. Our world is full of labels that are designed to define and control you, while God is the one who calls you by your true name, seeing potential in you beyond what others have seen, perhaps beyond what you've ever imagined. So by naming Jesus the Messiah and Simon as Peter, these two friends love each other, seeing more in the other than what's on the surface. 
And each one of them will live into this new name in surprising ways. Jesus is the Messiah, but not the kind anybody ever expected. And Peter's faith will be anything but rock steady. Nonetheless, Jesus is happy to build a community on the faith of Peter who doesn't have it all together. In fact, Peter's worst mistakes are still to come. And all of that is fine. You know why it's fine? Because Peter isn't his own Messiah. Jesus is. And that means it's safe for Peter to fail, even in spectacular public fashion. Because in every failure, he always lands on the solid rock that is Jesus. In 1 Peter, the letter attributed to Peter, chapter 2, he writes, Come to him, a living stone, speaking of Jesus, come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let you yourselves be built into a spiritual house. So here we are, 2,000 years later, that spiritual house, the gates of hell cannot overcome it. A good question can change your life forever. Who do you say that I am? So whether you name Jesus as friend or teacher, Messiah, Lord, or something else entirely, Christ names you as beloved. You are not the labels that others have given to you or the ones that you've taken on yourself. You are and always will be a beloved child of God, safe to fail and secure to become more more than you know yourself to be. Amen.